Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 172. Well, just ahead, AutoZone hedging downward pressures on prices and customers. And we'll get a look at a window maker, Apogee, and a master class on investing in venture-backed companies. Really fascinating conversation with Trinity Capital CEO Steve Brown. It's venture capital with all the risks and none of the upside? Maybe. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with Era. Customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, whatever. But hit the subscriber button. Make sure you catch every show. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to look at some businesses behind some stocks that are doing things. Tell those businesses stories. <laughs> That's one way to that put it, huh? Is Isaac Webster joining us from the Midwest today? Yes, the great state of Wisconsin, cheese capital of the world. Well, not probably not really, but they like to think that, and it's a lot of good cheese here. When my sister got married in Wisconsin, she lives in La Crosse. They had, I'm not kidding you, five dishes at the wedding. That's not you know not totally unusual. Every one of them had cheese. Yeah, from the salad with some cheese sprinkled on it to the cheesecake dessert and every and every course in between. And I'm sure there were cheese curds there. Cheese there were curds. no cheese curds. I there were no cheese one. curds? I haven't had one yet, and I'm not. I'm going to keep it that way. Well, they're actually very good. No. If you're in Wisconsin, though, you have to eat cheese curds. I think that's a true fact, and I'm not doing it. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's start with AutoZone. AutoZone trades under AZO. Uh, AZO shares have dropped 9%. Over the past month, but if you look at a 12-month chart, ASIO shares have climbed 28% in a year. Yeah, big company, $40 billion company. You probably did a double take when you looked at that uh, um, uh, share price. Yeah, I had no idea. No <laughs> idea. It's a company that hasn't done stock splits like so many others do. So the price my of the goodness. shares at the moment that we were recording this is, uh, let me look at my chart, uh, $2,133.22 per share. Yeah. That's AutoZone. how AutoZone rocks it. Well, AutoZone rocked uh, a big quarter uh, when their last reported earnings. Um, and uh, uh, there were some warnings about um, shipping costs and the things that we hear from lots of companies. But I thought it was kind of interesting that obviously gas prices are a very big part of um, uh, how people spend money in their cars. When gas prices are high or perceived to be high, people spend less money on, on uh, optional things and fixing their cars. But Isaac, can you? what's the last fix you made in your car? 
Do you like uh, slide under there with your socket wrench? And, uh, you mean me personally? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think I put in some windshield wiper fluid uh, at some point this year. Yeah. So I put cars, the gas in. Hey, that makes that something, right? So it's such a fascinating business to me, this, this car repair business. Because when I was a kid, which is a million years ago, you know, dad story. sat underneath cars and fixed stuff. They'd open the engine and look at it like they understood something. You, if you open up the engine of my car, it's just a big piece of plastic covering an engine under there somewhere. I haven't fixed, say, a spark plug. No. Maybe ever. Certainly not since I was a kid. Because cars are different now. It's the dirty little secret of the auto business is that people don't need to buy as much stuff for their cars. So AutoZone, to grow their business... Um, expands into new areas, tries to find the, the, the what the customers need in terms of the customers who are still going to spend money on cars or car parts or car repairs or cars as projects. But CEO Bill Rhodes talking in the AutoZone conference call about that dirty little secret on the number of things they sell, those unit numbers are going down. You've heard me say many times that the dirty little secret of our industry is that there's downward pressure on units and have been for decades. So oftentimes we'll be down three or 4% in units and customer count. A lot of that is driven by improvements in automobile technology. So, you know, easy example is spark plugs. You used to buy spark plugs and they were copper spark plugs and they would last for 30,000 miles. Now you buy iridium spark plugs and they last 100,000 miles. Now, they, the old copper spark plugs used to cost 59 cents. Now, iridium's oftentimes over $10. So there's an upward pressure on cost per piece, price per piece, and a downward pressure on units. Uh, I think our downward pressure in the fourth quarter was more exaggerated than it typically is, um, mainly because of the incredible performance that we've seen over the last three years. I think there's been some moderation. There was also a little bit of moderation, as we said, because of the uh, uh, discretionary items, accessories and the like. So I think that's fascinating. I think it's fascinating that, that, that this business still exists and indeed is doing so well and growing despite the um, lack of consumer interest in the um, stuff that they sell. I got to say, I feel, I feel similar. I had no idea AutoZone was this massive behemoth and, you know, even though, and he admits, you know, the CEO admits, yeah, there's downward pressure on customer, the customer count, as he put it, for decades. Yet AutoZone is keeping on, keeping on. Yeah, just a point of reference. So $15.9 billion in revenues in the last uh, 12 months. Big business. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at Apogee, a Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota-based company. Right next door to where I am currently, Apogee trades under APOG and shares of risen. Right next. I mean, if you if you were further <laughs> west in the state, it would be right next door. You're so, in the middle I, of Wisconsin. You're not right next door to, to Minneapolis. It's not, so, it's not so far away. It's like an hour flight. Uh, Apogee trades under APOG and shares have risen almost 8% in a year, even though they've dropped 13% since the start of 2022. Right, because... People aren't building office buildings as much anymore. And these guys make glass, architectural frames and architectural glass for buildings. Uh, and, you know, they do storefront business, yes. Uh, but the aluminum frames and customized aluminum frames for um, commercial properties, for office buildings, office towers, and so on, that business has not been great because, uh, as we all know, people haven't been going to work. And the 
result is that um, commercial space has not been built out as much as it had been uh, before the pandemic. So the question going forward here is, you know, talk about work from home. What does work from home mean if we have a world where workers are working from home more, where more people are zooming into work and not going into an office, even if they're going to the office part-time, what does that mean about the demand for the architectural products that build those buildings that are now empty? Everyone's had a lot of questions about the future of office. I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't reiterate, we continue to see strong demand for premium office space. Um, and so that continues to be a driver in our backlog. That being said, as we have focused to make sure that we're going after other opportunities uh, in that space, what we saw in our backlog growth this, this quarter was really non-office. So there were some office projects that were won, but we saw a significant increase due to some wins in, in the transportation segment. So think airports, airport terminals, new construction. Um, and we saw additional project wins in healthcare and education. Um, and, and again, there was some office space, but when we looked at that in total, the drivers was non-office and, and at least in this quarter, you know, that significantly reduced the percent of our backlog that is that is office in there. And so we see that at both of those as good things. It's great that we're seeing a diversification of the mix. We think there's some tailwinds in that transportation, government, healthcare, and education space because some of the federal funding, funding that's come through. We think some of the uh, funding and, and tax rebates that are coming through for energy efficiencies bodes well. Um, for our glass business and even for our services business because those are more complex or higher value products that would go into curtain walls. So those those are positives for us as well as we look at that uh, at backlog that we're building. So it is interesting. People are going back to work. I'm, I'm seeing that certainly here in the Bay Area. Isaac, uh, traffic has picked up a lot in the last few weeks. Same um, in LA. San Francisco seem to see more people on them right now. But there are big employers in San Francisco, uh, in Silicon Valley, Salesforce among them who are not requiring their workers to come back to work. And as a result, uh, all the businesses around them are suffering, including, who knew, the window makers. Now, does Apogee do any residential? Uh, no, their focus seems to be entirely on um, uh, uh, commercial. Because it seems like there's going to be a real big demand for that. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Bolero. Bolero. Bolero trades under B-O-L-W-L, if I can read correctly, Bol. And Bol shares have risen 37% in a year, jumping 16% in the last month alone. You know what Bolero does? Let me take a guess. Does that have something to do with pins? Yes, they run bowling alleys. Ah, Bolero. And they did nearly a billion dollars, $911 million, $912 million in revenues in the last year. I've never um, been to one, though. Have you been to a Bolero? Uh, Bullmore is uh, the brand that they own, one of the brands that they own. Um, and Bullmore Lanes, right there at, was it 12th Street and uh, University Place, right where I went to college, I mean, it was 13th Street. Yeah, I, I was going there in the, you know, when I was, when I was uh, but a, but a uh, undergraduate, teenager. Ah, they're that old, they're that, they've been around that long? And balls have been around <laughs> since then. <laughs> but uh, this, this business has been going... Uh, having great uh, difficulty during COVID. Shocker. People yeah. weren't going to put their sweaty fingers in somebody else's balls. 
That right. sounded really wrong. That sounded totally wrong. That's not what I meant to say, but I, I think it was what you meant to say, actually. But we'll, business, well, we can move uh, on from there. Through acquisitions and and now through some growth of people coming back, yeah. they've seen this business really grow. It was a $400 million top line business two years ago. After some big acquisitions, now they run, I think, 317 bowling centers, mostly in the U.S., a few in Mexico and a few in Canada. And uh, what they're seeing is that this is back to the last story we talked about, which is people coming back to the office means that people are starting to do group events together and offices are all coming together in mass and going bowling. And it's been really good for their business. And uh, Bullmore is, uh, and, and the folks at Bolero and all the brands that they run are starting to see a pickup in business, a pickup in group parties, office parties, uh, which, and whether people are working from home or from the office, however, CEO Tom Shannon thinks that this is a trend that will lead to more bowling. I think it's going to be extremely strong going forward for an extended period of time. And I think that um, not only is there a lot of pent-up demand from companies that haven't had events for years now, but I also think that even in the work-from-home environment, you have to get together and you have to preserve you know, the culture and camaraderie that can only happen face-to-face. Now, I think we've all learned that you don't actually need to go to the office to be effective at your job. But you do need to meet with your colleagues periodically and have that face time. And so I think a lot of that activity is actually happening in a more social function. And so I think that uh, even if a lot of people are still working from home and maybe working from home for an extended period of time, you're still going to see corporate activity where those people come in and meet in that social environment, even if they're not necessarily going into the office. So there you have it, more corporate activity, more going to the office, or maybe not necessarily going to the office. Doesn't matter. It's going to mean more social events and yes, more bowling. It's so strange because anecdotally, I've noticed over the past three months, so many posts on social media of people going bowling. Really? Yeah. That's and then of course, and talking about Bolero today, I, I'm just like, huh. And then when I was looking at their, their chart. Um, yeah, stock's gone from nine to 14 in the last six my months. My God. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what the, if they're paying, I don't know. It's, it's pretty, I, I wouldn't have guessed this. I wouldn't have guessed that people would have been going back to bowling as quickly as they are. Uh, your kids are about old enough now. You could take them bowling. And they yeah. love it. Yeah. My daughter, for sure. My son, not He's so much. a little, little, but is he? <laughs> But you could, they, they get on their hands and knees and they roll the thing with the bumpers yeah. up, they roll the thing in the direction of the pins and they just love it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I like to bowl too. Who doesn't? Why not? You were waiting for me to say something like sweaty fingers and balls again. I'm not going to do that. And there it is, folks. Coming up next, really interesting interview uh, with a company called Trinity Capital and their CEO, Steve Brown. This is a company that lends money to venture-backed businesses that are growing fast that might look like a credit risk, but maybe not. Steve Brown coming up right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled, technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. Right now we are joined by the CEO of Trinity Capital. Steve Brown joins us. Um, Steve, glad to have you on. Um, 
yours, yours, yours is a fascinating business. How do you describe it to people? Um, well, first, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Trinity Capital. First, we're a BDC, Business Development Corporation. We're an internal business development corporation versus external. We could talk about that. That's a big distinction. Uh, but we are a financing company for emerging growth companies. Typically, you'll see those companies backed by VCs, venture capitalists, sometimes private equity. But uh, typically, these companies are growing. They're growing rapidly. They're still burning capital. And so they are in need of some debt financing to fuel that growth and to save on the dilution that they would otherwise get when they're raising capital. So that's fundamentally our business. And uh, it's something we've been doing for a long time. It's something that's really gained, I would say, uh, in the marketplace uh, uh, more recently uh, as far as understanding and investor understanding and support. So, uh, but yeah, that's generally what we do. Ven uh, venture debt? Venture debt, venture debt, equipment financing to venture-backed companies and emerging growth companies. And, uh, and then also we have entered the life science space as well. So, yeah. It's it's very interesting to me because I you know I sit here in Silicon Valley. Well, San Francisco is now called Silicon Valley. Go figure. But uh, you know I sit here in Silicon Valley and I've been around this a lot. And debt is so rarely discussed. I was talking to an entrepreneur maybe a year ago about where he was with his business, and it was about his third startup. And he said, "Yeah, I'm just going to go to the bank and get a loan. Why would I delude myself? These numbers are so good." Yeah. And I thought, oh. Oh, right. Of course you would. I just, it's so rarely part of the conversation for a startup. Well, and it was really a rare part of the conversation 20 years ago when I got into this business. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, providing a little bit of debt with a lot of equity to an emerging growth company is what you need to do. I mean, typically our enterprise value is going to be in sort of the 15 to 20 percent range. So you can kind of think of it as four or five to one equity to debt. We're in the middle market you know, space, it may be just the opposite of that. So a little bit of debt that f amortizes fairly rapidly after a little interest only period, it's really there to extend the runway for that large amount of equity that's been invested so that both the VCs and the entrepreneurs can save some dilution. And when you underwrite it correctly, and we can talk about all of that, uh, the, the loss rates are very, very low and in some cases almost non-existent for this yeah. type of debt. Well, what does that mean, uh, underwrite it correctly? So, you know, I, mean, I know what it means, but what does it mean to about, you? Yeah, you got to think about runway. So it kind of blows the minds of the t traditional bankers underwriting. But you have to think about runway. How much cash runway does the company have? What's the technology? What's the mode around the technology? Is it unique? Uh, you know, who are the investors and what is their dry powder? How recently have they raised funds? Uh, and, and will they support? Do they have a history of supporting, you know, that company? Uh, the management team, have they done this before? Have they raised money in good markets and bad markets? Those are all the criteria. Now, we have a very actually an engineer who is now our formerly our chief credit officer, now chief operating officer, has put together the systems and the processes that we go through. So it's a very objective process, but it's all of these sort of factors that determine whether or not we as Trinity can get repaid in the amount of time that we typically have a loan out, which is about 30 months. So when we're looking at companies in the underwriting process, it's not, are they going to become the next Google? And are we going to get a huge equity pop on our warrant? We can talk about a warrant as a smaller piece of the overall structure. The question is, will these companies be in a position to pay us back over the next 
call it, you know, 18 to 36 months. That's what we're underwriting to. We don't think about it like the equity guys do, although we have to understand as much as they do relative to the technology. So this is probably not seed capital. This is probably in like a B round to a D round for a company. There you go. That's exactly sort of our sweet spot. B round to D round. As an example, our typical portfolio company will have raised at least 30 million, maybe more. They will have a run rate of revenue in the 20 plus million range, can be a lot more than that. Um, they are rapidly growing uh, and, and they're continuing to grow that, that revenue base. So typically that sort of B to D, when you think of it in VC terms, in private equity terms, it would be a little earlier stage private equity, but we do have companies that are, that are backed by private equity. And even in the life science space, that we have entered into, you think about drug development, you think about device development and all that. Our strategy is still, we want to take the technology risk out. And we have actually two engineers on our team that have built technology-based companies, multiple across the world in their, in their past, that actually do underwriting on the technology to ensure that we're not taking true technology risk we're taking scale risk and growth risk, and that's where we have to understand all of the aspects about. So, that. in other words, these people essentially, these two people essentially work as analysts, where they come into an area and say, "Gee, this uh, uh, software to solve this problem for doing drug trials and as a service has never been done before." So. Let's understand who the competitors are and see who these, these are the right guys to back, that kind of thing. Yeah, it, you're exactly right, Corey. And we made a decision early on. We wanted to differentiate ourselves in this business. There's not a lot of people that do what we do. I mean, when you look at the BDC space, there's over 50 BDCs. There's only four of us that do this you know, venture debt, emerging growth. So we wanted to differentiate ourselves. And one of those differentiations in our mind was to understand the company, the technology, the market, and and all the headwinds that could it could be a part of that better than any of our compare uh, any of our competitors. So you know, for many years, my chief credit officer was a serial technologist. Now he's moved to the chief operating officer role because we are more than money, and we talk about being more than money and assisting our portfolio companies and understanding them. But it is not uncommon when we go back and every deal that we do, we go back and we do a post mortem and we we ask questions of the portfolio company. Why did you choose Trinity? And there's a number of reasons. It's it's almost never you were the cheapest cost of capital because that's not who we are. But oftentimes you will hear you guys ask great questions. You understood our technology and our business better than anybody else that we were talking to. That's why we chose Trinity. And I would say one other thing on that, Corey. You know, it's easy to collect when things are going well. Anybody can collect when things are going well. The real key is, how are, you know, what are you going to do when things don't go as planned? And we believe we've got the ability to really understand that situation and that market or that technology and be able to add value and 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 work out deals that maybe don't go exactly as planned. Well, I mean, I can see, you know, first of all, I can see that, that might be a lot of fun for those who listen to this podcast. They know that, you know, what, what we share in common, those who make the podcast and those who listen to the podcast, we love business and we find it fascinating. The stories are interesting. But I can also see why you don't know a lot of competitors because you have all the risk of venture capital and none of the gains. I yeah, mean, so, so I mean, why? so that's well, with that, capped gains. That's that's no wonder you only have three other competitors. Yeah, that that's a great point. And I will tell you again, if you do it right, and we're talking about what you've got to do to really understand this business. If you do it right, you're going to have minimal losses because you're financing at a point in time for a period of time, so that they can gain 
uh, you know, revenue, they can hit milestones and they can get a bigger valuation in, in the next. So so the key is, and it, it's something you just said, I'm not disagreeing with it, but this is the key point. You can't take equity risk in this business. Some competitors that really don't understand the v, the VC ecosystem, all the financial uh, stuff that you have to understand, the technology that you have to understand, if you don't get all that and you can't underwrite it correctly, you are taking equity risk and you're just cloaking it in a debt wrapper. That never right. works, right? So you have to take debt risk in this space. So as you, it's also interesting to me that you're, ba- you're based in Phoenix. So I would think you'd be we're, based- we're, we're based in Phoenix, right. Here in the San Francisco Ferry Building where I'm sitting, or you'd be down in Sand Hill Road or something. Uh, um, yeah. Um, why Phoenix? I mean, well, you probably you started in Phoenix. I, you didn't go to Phoenix to do this business. Yeah, but. Corey, I wish I could tell you it was incredible foresight. And eventually <laughs> Phoenix would be a great place for, for to build a team and all the infrastructure. Which it is. The truth is Patty was never going to let me move to San Francisco. Right. We had when I started this dream 20 years ago, we didn't have any. We had three kids. They were all here in the valley and no grandkids. Today, we've got three children, their spouses and 13 grandkids. And they all live here in the valley. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> and I will tell you that and we can talk about this, but, you know, sort of faith, family, commitment to family is a big part of me personally, and it's become a part of our Trinity culture. So in the end, Phoenix is a great place to build a company. When the pandemic hit, we had already been building a venture debt firm and an emerging growth finance firm around the country sort of remotely. So when the pandemic hit, it was kind of helpful to Trinity because we were ready to roll when you couldn't go anywhere and, and you know do site visits and stuff like that. But but the truth to why Phoenix is, you know, Pat, Patty and Steve were gonna stay in Phoenix. And and I did, when I started this dream 20 years ago, I was flying to Sand Hill Road as much as I could and trying to get meetings. And when we were small, Patty's I your the wife. guys up and down. Yeah. Um, uh, also, I noticed on, on, the, uh, on the homepage of your website, uh, there's someone with the last name Kyle Brown uh, with last name same last name as yours. You talk about commitment to family. Sounds like yeah. that includes employment. Yeah. So Kyle, very successful entrepreneur up through President 2015, and uh, he joined us in 2015 and has really uh, done an incredible job, sort of building out uh, the origination team was his first role, developing those VC and PE relationships, which he's done. We've had dramatic growth under his leadership there. But this speaks to, to not just family. And, and listen, you know, Kyle's Ka- my son, yeah. uh, but he's done a phenomenal job and helped growing the business. But it speaks to the commitment we have to succession planning at Trinity. And we are just I, I am sort of over the top on making sure that we have succession planning in place so that the leadership can grow and emerge and take the company into the future to places that it hasn't been to date. And so for me personally, I have been hyper focused on if at some point Steve Brown's no longer around, Trinity is, is in good a shape as it could be and maybe better. And, and Kyle's one example of that. We have some other incredibly bright, young and sort of, I would call it, I'm old now, Corey. So, you know, young and middle folks that are really taking over the leadership mantle, you know, here at Trinity. I thought it'd be interesting if we do something I've never done on the show before or in any interview I've ever done, if you could take me through your balance sheet a little bit. And I, I specifically, I want some definitions on the balance sheet. Um, uh, in your... Um, uh, on your balance sheet, you, there's a list of, uh, in terms of assets, um, and investments at fair value, and it is, it is the vast majority of your assets on the ba- balance sheet. But there's three categories, control investments, affiliate investments, and non-control non-affiliate investments, which is the, the, the lion's share of them. And I wonder if you can help define those for me. I don't, I don't mean to quiz you or put you on the spot, but you no, surely know I, this no, stuff. No, no. So, so, so I'm going to tell you right now, and one of the, you know, uh, you know, uh, 
Transparency and vulnerability is one of our key things. And so I'm going to talk to you about control and non-control. Yeah. Affiliated, I'd want to get my uh, CFO in here and help, and we probably well, don't have time right. for that. No, no, non-control, con- those are minor items. But but the the control and non-control, the, and f- yeah. for a point of reference for our listeners, the company has about a billion one in assets. There you about go. About a yeah. billion, uh, 50 million are, um, or just about a billion even, I should say, are non-control, non-affiliated right. investments. So, so what are control are- and what are non-control? Yeah, so the non the non control are what we typically do, and that is uh, loans, uh, loans to again these emerging growth companies, uh, equipment financings, and we don't do traditional sort of typical leases, but we do equipment financings uh, where you know we've made the loan. There's a contractual obligation for them to pay us back over time. There may be a warrant or an option to purchase stock, which is a small upside that we get for that risk that we take, but that is primarily what we do. Then we occasionally will have some control investments, and these may be a workout where, again, Trinity can add value. We believe we add value beyond money. We may have a situation where, for whatever reason, the VC didn't continue to fund, but we believe there's value there. We've underwritten that, and then we can foreclose, take over those assets, and end up in control. Typically in our business, a control asset is, a, is an asset that you've worked out, you've taken control, and then they're, and, and you, you already referenced fair value. I mean, every quarter we have to mark the portfolio to what we believe is the current fair value, given all the circumstances. We'll use third-party experts in that. We have a process and a system for doing that. The affiliated investments, I could speculate right now. I think it's probably some of our warrants where we have sort of an or or we've exercised and we have an equity investment. We don't control it, but it's not a non-control. But I'd have to I'd have to check. There's probably very little of that on the balance sheet. Would it be fair? And I haven't done a lot of financial investing, investing in financial companies in my life, but I've done a little. Um, And would it be fair to say that if if you know, I always look for, I always look for these numbers to try to tell me a trend in the business. And it yeah. would seem to me that if you were, if you had a lot of loans going bad and suddenly you ended up in control of a lot of businesses, maybe that would be a sign that the underlying conditions of the, of the businesses you're lending to are getting worse and you're having to take ownership more and more. Yeah. Uh, now, and, and also I should point out for our listeners that at the end of last year, you had 32, again, these are tiny amounts compared to the billion dollars you've got out, but uh, 32 million at the end of the year, down to 25 million um, at the middle of the year. So yeah. that, that suggests, you, you know, fewer you, your control. Your assumption investments. is correct. If you're going to see more and more control investments for a business like us, that's yeah. probably an indication that there's issues in the portfolio and you're trying to work those out. Our goal is not to loan to own. This is not a hard money business, right? We we are wanting to support great companies that are growing and building their business and provide a point in time uh, debt financing for them. And occasionally, you end up with an asset. And, and and again, we've built this team with a number of operators, folks that have built businesses before. And we think we've got, you know, some unique capability in that regard. If that deal happens to go bad, very few of them do. So. You know, I was meeting with a, um, a venture investor. It was, the guy runs a startup, but has a lot of venture investments. Uh, we were talking yesterday and he, uh, dog walk yesterday. Good, to, always, always a good networking opportunity, right? Nice, um, great. Uh, it's when people keep it, keep it real. Uh, and he was, uh, just tell me that, that there's just been this dramatic change in what's happening, particularly in the angel or the early rounds of um, investing in venture startups, venture backed startups or, or companies that wish they were venture backed and having a hard time doing so. I would right. imagine for your space right now, that B2D round company, a company that's off the ground, 
growing top line, losing money, your phone's got to be ringing off the hook right now because venture yeah, investors no, are just that, not stepping into the void right now. <clears throat> that's that's really good insight. And the definitions for angel, proceed, angel, A, B, C, D, they've been changing and they'll probably continue to change. Uh, but in the world that we live in, if you do it right, you're going to have a portfolio company. It's not going to be, will they get investment? The question is at what valuation? And that's what's happening right now. Like if I'm in the VC, if I'm a VC right now, listen, they've raised, I think the numbers were like in the first half of the year, $121 million or billion. These guys billion, are raising yeah. lots and lots of money and they're going to take advantage of this opportunity in this sort of broader, you know, clouded market to reset valuations. And so, you know, from the B to C round, we are seeing a lot of opportunities where if you're an entrepreneur and you started this company and you've got 40 million in revenue and it's going to be a good company, but you still need more capital. And the VC is telling you, I'm happy to do it. But your last round was, you know, at 800 million, we got to cut that to 400 million. You're going to be turning to guys like us and saying, hey, can I get a little bit of debt? Because I don't want to take that whole dilution. We're seeing a lot of that opportunity where we can still save some dilution in the down round. And again, down rounds are not a bad thing for Trinity. As long as there's active support and interested support from a capitalization standpoint, we are likely going to get repaid. Are you walking into these deals when there's a financing happening most of the time? So a company's raising a C round and they want to mix a little debt in there to, to give up, you know, to, to raise more. It's as part typically of the, right when the financing comes in uh -huh. or just after the financing has occurred. And the entrepreneur and the VC firm or the private equity firm, if they're a little earlier stage, they're thinking about how can I lever this? What's the appropriate amount of leverage? And I gave you some numbers earlier, like four or five to one sort of equity to debt. They're, you know, typically what will happen if you're about to raise a round, if Trinity's doing its job right across the market and getting the story out and building relationships and people in relationships are so important to Trinity, the board member who's the VC is going to tell you, look, we're going to raise 50 million bucks, call Trinity. Maybe you can get a $10 million loan from those guys to extend that runway. So that's, you know, that, that, that's really what you want to have happen, you know, when we're, when we're uh, looking at deals. So interesting. So let me, let me ask you the place where others might've started this interview. What do you see happening right now? What is the state of business for the business businesses to whom you're lending? Yeah. So <clears throat> there's probably two answers and I would hope to be more expert at one than the other, right? There's the venture debt space and the venture capital industry, which we spend a lot of time on. And we have seen, listen, I started in the dot bomb era of 2000. I lived through the mortgage-backed security crisis of you know, 2008 and then the pandemic and then what's happening today. So I've been around all of those markets and VCs tend well, to- Well, now if you're de describing yourself as old, I've been around those too. What are you describing me as? But <laughs> We're sorry. both old. Let's just, let's just say Please it, Please continue. But, so, 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 so I think, you know, what happens in, in those markets, the VCs, typically continue to invest. Sometimes they'll cut the total amount that they're investing, but they continue to invest in those markets. As long as VCs continue to invest in innovation and technology, even in down markets, when the good venture debt or emerging growth financing companies do their business right, they've got a great chance to get repaid and their portfolio companies have a great chance to survive. Now, the broader market is a different story, and I'm not necessarily an expert on the broader market, but I have seen how our business and our market correlates or uncorrelates to that broader financial market. And that's happening right now, right? I mean, we're seeing a lot of, of 
issues and problems and inflation and all the things that are happening, rising interest rates. But we, I believe, have always been and still are a bit protected, not completely, but a, but a bit protected from those broader things that are happening in the marketplace. Because again, we get repaid when institutional backers of our companies continue to believe in that and fund that company. And if we do it right, you know, simple math. If they get an extra round, if we if we do the B round and they get a C round, we typically get off risk. Or Even if that it's, C it's rounds at that half simple. the valuation, yeah. What's that? Even if that C rounds at half the valuation. Even if it's half the valuation, I mean, that, we get questions from institutional investors. Man, if you have a down round and it's sixty or fifty percent off, you know, that's going to be a problem for you. No, it's not. Not necessarily. Yeah. It, it's just new money coming in. We're we're in the we're we're up there on the debt stack. We're not worried about whether or not our equity valuation at the last round is going to get hit. So, uh, again, down rounds are not bad at all. They're 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 helpful at times. Super interesting stuff. Steve Brown is the CEO, Trinity Capital. Thanks for your time. Hey, really enjoyed it, Corey. Thanks for having me. All right, coming up next to the drill down, we're going to have one number that means a whole lot about Trinity Capital right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And yes, maybe you listen to this show while you're out walking the dog or dogs or cats or boa constrictor. I don't know, whatever you got. But uh, you could also listen to this when you're around the house or in the office with your smart speaker by saying, hey, smart speaker, play the Drill Down podcast and you'll hear our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Here we are back with the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, uh, I usually don't do stock-related stuff at any part of the show, really, right. early stock stuff. But I thought it's interesting to look at the net asset value per share of this company. So their assets are mostly these loans, Right. Uh, and they mark them to market as one should every quarter. And okay, let's assume that they're accurate in that in that process. Uh, stock trading a little bit above fifteen dollars, fifteen dollars and forty cents at the moment that we were recording this. Um, the uh, the net asset value per share for this company Drum fourteen dollars and sixty two cents. There's your bite. Fourteen sixty two, fourteen dollars and sixty two cents net asset value per share. So the stock trading huh. at just a one dollar premium to that. It also, of course, pays about a 16% dividend. So really interesting, uh, uh, you know, an, an interesting company in an interesting area that, yeah, if things work out, can really create some nice returns. Yeah, it's. I feel like they're in a very specialized niche. They are, and, and also growing the assets under management quite a bit. Of it. Look, look for the last four years, they've averaged... I say assets under management, they've added about uh, 22% every year to their investment book. So investment book's growing really fast. The returns have been pretty nice so far. And uh, and yeah, the, and not trading at a significant premium to the net asset value per share. Interesting stuff. Yeah. All right, we, we appreciate your time. Well, of course, we appreciate the fine folks at Trinity uh, for joining us. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. I'm Corey Johnson. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.